0: Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes on team with our Brentwood Baptist family of churches here with Paul Wilkinson.
1: Yeah, excited for this series, excited for today.
0: Paul, you had Cracker Barrel this morning, right? Is that I did. Is that, that sounds
1: good. I did broke bread with a young man I'm discipling and another guy who's doing some teaching around here for us. This is a great community moment.
0: I love it. I love it. Any time to get around a meal like that mm-hmm. is uh, rocking. You got it. <laughs> Jesus was so good at that. I think we. I think sometimes in our strategy sessions we overlook how significant eating was to mm-hmm. him. And um,
1: it, it's just disarming. Yeah, it's disarming, and um, people don't feel like projects. You're, you're breaking bread, and man, I can't tell you the training and the conversation. Uh, that went on. Uh, I meet with a young man for a different reason than I meet with the other guy, but the teacher in my conversation, the young man was picking up on and had a lot of questions about and just the theological training, the disciple making training, and just life, how you're dealing with relationships. It just provides, I can't, you just can't beat the opportunity it provides. That's
0: awesome. That's and awesome. And the
1: words of the great Alan Taylor, Sunday school guru. Uh, when I went to, (laughs) I went to meet with him at, uh, Lifeway one day. And of course, he's one of my, one of my heroes. I was like, man, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me. This is a really big deal. And I've, I'm new on the job, came out of academia. No, I'm clueless about groups and disciple making in groups. And Alan looks at me and says, Paul, I got to eat anyway. I might as well do it with you. (laughs) And, and, but the training that happened and it always stuck with me. I mean, I got to eat. I eat two or three times a day. I might as well do it with somebody and talk yep. about disciple-making, theology, yep. Bible, yep.
0: and all the rest. And I can't tell you the fruit that that's born. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And I think I think it helps folks who think maybe in grander terms about disciple-making to, to recognize that it's just really in the simple life rhythms. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, we, we say it a lot on here, but we can't stress it enough that people seeing how the gospel takes shape in your own life in the everyday of your life and the relationships and marriage and Mm -hmm. if you're a a parent or in friendships or in work decisions or you know in the the way you deal with anxiety worry those kinds of things and so you know that's what this is about it's about helping to be disciple makers in the everyday and we'll say it again that our prayer is that this year that those of you who are listening and everyone that's a part of our church family will walk with Jesus and begin to make one disciple with him this in these next 12 to 18 months. That's our prayer and and it may sound like a low bar, but it's it's really not. I mean, I it it really is not only is it doable, but it's even a son of God kind of uh kind of standard because he really focused on 3 who helped him pour into another 9 and and I think in that way we see uh, some pretty simple patterns that we can uh, use for yeah. disciple making.
1: And I like that, I like pattern, mm-hmm. because it is just simple modeling. Like yeah. even if you're sitting over a meal and you say, "Let me bless this," yeah, and you're modeling prayer. And what you're praying, the people you're with are listening to your prayer. That's right. So you're modeling how to pray for people, what you pray for. Yeah, and then you have the discussion itself. You have generosity with, you know, how you treat the others around you, tip, you leave, uh, and all the rest. And then you think also in terms of Matthew's calling. So part of how we train our in-community groups, our home groups and neighborhood groups in particular, as we say one of the first things Jesus did when he called Matthew was he threw a party at his house. Yep. And they just gathered, and Jesus began to model immediately for Matthew what it meant to be a kingdom person yep. in context. Yep. So in the end, it's just inviting at least one person into your life— and very simple modeling, very right. simple, basic modeling.
0: That's right. So good. That makes me think when you said about even the simple, the simplicity of praying makes me think about the movie Book of Eli. I don't know if you, if you ever saw Book of Eli, but um, it's not the most wholesome movie necessarily, but <laughs> That's a discouraging but, dystopia, but, but all that to say, it is uh, a pretty, a pretty powerful story about uh just what mission means in the course of life. In that situation, it happens to be in a very difficult time. But I remember one of my favorite scenes is when there's a young lady in the room with Denzel Washington, the character that he plays, and he simply prays with her. And you see about one or two scenes later her praying with her mom mm. just like he prayed with her. Yeah. And it's just, it really, it was a powerful visual of yeah. what we're talking about.
1: And to tap into what you've said in other episodes, we sort of look at the preacher on the stage and we, for some reason, extrapolate that to yeah. every person in our life. But being able to simply pray is a huge step <laughs> for 95% of the people in our lives, ourselves included, particularly right. men, being able to be open and vulnerable with the Lord in prayer is a huge, huge step. Yep. <laughs> and, and I, I don't... I just don't think we see it that way, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's good. Well, and, and the series that we're in right now, I mean, let's connect what you just said to that, the 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 Restoring the Soul series that wraps up, wrapped up yep. this Sunday. Um, you know, that that series, we've talked about dealing with anxiety on the 14th, talked about dealing with depression on the 21st, and dealing with loneliness on the 28th of January. And, and this is in the year 2020 if you end up listening to this at some other point down the road. But all that to say, uh, it's interesting because even the idea of prayer isn't just some moral discipline or some spiritual practice alone. It's even a statement about the fact that we're not alone. Right. It's a, yep. it's an idea of God is with me and I, I get to live in conversation with him. And so that's what we're going to focus on today as we continue to wrap up this mm-hmm. series on Psalm 23. And
1: there's a constant refrain in Psalm 23 is that I can be whatever it is, bold, confident, faithful. It's because the Lord is with me. That's exactly right. You're because not, he's not alone. Me.
0: That's right. So good. Um, the, and then the person who, one of the campus the teaching pastors who wrote this series, uh, ended up, Chris Brooks is his name, ended up writing it this way, that the Time Magazine recently called Loneliness the next great health epidemic on par with obesity and substance abuse. And David tells us that we can live with the security of belonging, knowing that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God will hold us, help us. Jesus wants to carry us and care for us. So come home and find biblical community with him, and with other believers, and even with those yet to believe. that's right. Jesus modeled all of that. The His unity with the Father, His oneness with the Father, His oneness with those who were walking with Him that were beginning to believe, and even His engagement with those that were not yet believing. And so let's talk about that today. We'll, we'll focus in, as we've been talking about, first of all, just kind of thinking about the text that was focused on.
1: Yeah, so we're in Psalm 23. Uh, verses 5 and 6 this week, so we spent three weeks on six verses. Yep. It's been encouraging, and we're getting a lot of good feedback on that, soaking in it, saturating it. So we're going to focus in 5 and 6, and we're using the New King James Version in hopes of easier memory uh, as we take these texts with us. It's good. So here's verse 5 and 6 from the New King James Version, Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. A lot and a little.
0: Oh my! The goodness, Bible is yeah. what to do. <laughs> that's right. It's that those those. Uh, I mean, that's those two verses are packed, and um, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me is even just the idea of God preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Yeah. I don't know, I don't want to speak for everyone else, so I'll speak for me. I think for a long time in my life, I didn't read that and allow it to have the oomph that it really has, <laughs> right? Because, you know, you read it as a kid or you, I would hear it as a kid as people would quote Psalm 23 or as we were, as in my growing up life and dad being a pastor, uh, challenged to memorize Psalm 23 and... um. Man, I don't think I let the weight of that hit me, but to think about God allowing me to sit down at a table in the presence of my enemies, the security that would need to be there for that, That's right. the, the trust that would need to be there, the understanding that that moment and circumstance is not what defines, it's not where my safety is, it's not what makes me who I am, and that I can even love deeply even those who are enemies because of how loved I've been. And, and I know David had to process all of that. And and we even see that in the, in the kind of my, my daughter brought up this, the, that she thought it was funny. I think it was the first, one of my younger daughters thought it was, it was the first time she had ever heard the story of Saul when he was chasing after David, King Saul, when he was chasing after David. And, goes into the cave to, as we'll say on the podcast, relieve himself and, um, not just number one, by the way, but both. And, uh, he goes down and David really has an opportunity to kill him. Right. Yes. And, and he ends up yeah. not killing Huffing him right over him. Yeah. You know, he ends up just cutting a, a, a piece of, uh, cloth off of his clothing and then goes out once he's left the cave and left his scent there. I don't think they had poopery at the time. But once he left all that there in the cave and he walks out and uh, David walks out with him and um and and ends up having a conversation with him in front of his men and basically letting him know I I you why are you chasing after me? I'm not after you. And yeah. you know, and, and and so like that's a a pretty powerful example of even what David's getting at here that I, I can live as though able to sit down and eat in security and safety and in rest and in comfort and in plenty, even in the presence of my enemies. Right. And that's a powerful thought.
1: Yeah. And it ties to the other texts of this chapter um, that we, we don't fear because the Lord is with us. So even in this vulnerable state of, Dining around all of my enemies. I'm secure in the, in the Lord's work. The expositor's Bible commentary says it this way about, uh, about verse five. The Lord is the host at a banquet prepared for his child, meaning us. Yeah. David in this text, but us, we can tap into that and buy into that. The table is laden with food and drink. Before entering into the banquet hall, the host would anoint the honored guest with oil. Wow. made by adding perfumes to the olive oil. The cup symbolizes the gracious and, and um beneficent manner of entertainment. The overflowing cup pictures the Lord is giving the best to his child. Good. It symbolizes the care and provision of God. And then formerly green pastures and quiet waters uh, from above. So this idea that we as God's honored guest is just a Bizarre and humbling reality, but That's that right. is the way our, our Father thinks about us. That's right, and it changes our identity, which then you know leads us into boldness and that security.
0: And it, is it is it too much to say here? I don't, I don't, I don't think it is. I'm asking what you think. Is it too much to say here that David really is even almost prophesying about, and and I don't mean prophesying just in the future telling sense. I mean, almost truth-telling mm-hmm. about there is hope in the forever ahead when I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is he, it's, all, it's that New Testament idea of hope. Yeah. Is it too much to say that he's even foreshadowing that? I mean, because that's what it feels, that's what it seems like he's doing. Here.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's exactly what he's doing. Or, I mean, the very least, we can say it's what the Holy Spirit is doing through him. Yeah. Because uh, we think about Christ being anointed yeah. uh, with perfumes and oils and then, of course, securing for us in his crucifixion and resurrection, that hope. So, I mean, I think the Holy Spirit is superintending just that reality here, whether or not David was fully aware of it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, and I think maybe as Americans, we – and I'm not trying to read too much of the modern day into this, but I would say let's take it from an application standpoint and think through some current situations. I think as Americans, we aren't as familiar with a nomadic culture. We aren't as familiar – with some of the unsettling that might occur in the different ways that the various communities and countries of that time, the kingdoms of that day would battle with each other. And there would be an unsettling and then an exile. And I mean, there's a lot of that back and forth you see throughout history. And so, you know, To understand that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever if my background is I already have a house and I pay Mm -hmm. a mortgage every month to the bank. And, I, you know, it's a little different sense of security and hope than if I constantly live in the mindset of a king could come down what at that time was called King's Highway, uh, which was the road that led through one of the major Megiddo valleys there and and had the most conquest battles of anywhere else on earth in history in that valley. In fact, it's the one that most people know by the name Armageddon. That's right. And so, you know, a king could come and his kingdom could come at any day down that highway and completely change our living situation and our security and who we are as a nation. And yet, and yet, uh, we, we don't have that fear Forever, we can trust and we can be secure, and I think that's exciting. That's exciting to think about.
1: Yeah, it truly is, and I think it gives us a good segue into what does this mean then for everyday disciple making. Yeah, uh, this boldness and confidence we have in the Lord's uh, security of us.
0: Well, I think I think one major I think one major takeaway that I would suggest is the idea that making disciples with Jesus is hard, mm-hmm. and so even the mission that David has, even the mission that he had and the way that he was given this anointing to be king, even that idea of mission gave him a very specific sense of purpose. And so you could argue, you could say that he was walking in God's will and it wasn't easy. He was walking in what God was leading him toward, even in those paths of righteousness. And yet he faced constant insecurity From the circumstances, constant uh, battle from Saul, constant, you know, you kind of look at all the various hardships that he walked through to even become king. Yes. Right. And I think so I think I think as we're in this making disciples everyday mindset, let's remind each other that this no one ever promises that it would go well or be easy or that we wouldn't feel alone. Right. And, And I think I think. I've seen, you tell me what you've experienced, Paul, but for me, I've experienced a lot of loneliness over the years in disciple making efforts where many times you feel like, okay, I'm really am, I do feel like I'm giving what I've been led to give and doing what I've been led to do. And yet why isn't there more fruit or why isn't this happening or why does this seem so hard or why have these circumstances changed that now are affecting the way that I could, and, and in all of those things, um, that reminder that we can sit at the table with our enemies, that he, he anoints us, that our cup overflows, that we have this hope of dwelling with Jesus, of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Um, I think understanding that in the midst of the loneliness and the hardships and some of the frustrations that come with disciple making, if we truly commit to it, um, that we can still keep going and keep on keeping on as, as the cliche goes.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things that's very theologically and in principle, very easy. Yeah. When we've said it before, it is easy. Just invite someone into your
0: life. That's right.
1: Because you are a child of God, you are regenerate and you're modeling for them the faith. Where it becomes difficult is what we've been talking about in this series is that anxiety, depression, loneliness, and these other um, attacks on us, whether it's an intent of the devil or whether it's a, Uh, refining us to something greater, or whether it's just the brokenness of the universe playing out in us, causes us to lose focus on those things, where we adopt too much of the work and don't let the Holy Spirit do his labor. So now I'm guilt-laden because I'm not good enough, and this person isn't responding to what I'm teaching, and I'm offering a class, and no one's there. But theologically, God never asked us (laughs) for any of that. It's good. Invite someone into your life and let them be present with you as you're living out the biblical faith. That's right. So I think in principle, it's so easy. Yeah. But when we try it in our brokenness, in our insecurities, it becomes extremely difficult. I agree. Because we're always second-guessing ourselves, always putting too much burden on ourselves, always over-expecting. I mean, even, even just what our invitation could be misleading. Sure. In the sense that you and I are saying, this year, just invite one person. <laughs> and I think naturally people say, okay, I want to make one disciple this year. Well, Jesus spent three years with the three guys <laughs> that right. used to disciple the nine, yeah. that disciple the seventy-two that went forth at Pentecost, and so we're not even asking you to do it in a year. That's right. We're just saying take the initiative at some point this year to invite someone to in right. your life. That's right. It may take three years. It may take five years. That's Who right. knows? It may take long. You know, that's the Holy Spirit's work. That's right. But even that can introduce assumptions and and unnecessary burdens that the Lord doesn't have for us. That's right. So our focus is always being pulled away, and it does become difficult. Yeah. Uh, and lonely because you never feel like you're good enough. That's right. And the paradox is the moment you do feel like you're good enough, that's when you're probably not. <laughs> that's right. It's in the humility of I'm not good enough that you have the spiritual power to let Christ shine forth through you.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh,
1: I mean, it is a paradoxical life.
0: It is. It, because, it, you know, there's this odd tension between I'm doing what God wants and so won't, won't he bless that Yeah. versus yep. – I think I'm being good enough for God, and so now I deserve something. And that this odd tension where we've got to let go of the I deserve mentality and gotta let go of, well, I'm doing the good thing. I should get good. And that's not how it works, right? Right. Like I mean, read Job. I mean, that's the Mm -hmm. to me, that's the major point of Job is he didn't deserve the good the good blessings and he didn't deserve the hardships and he didn't deserve the good blessings again. And yet God in his wisdom is doing what he does because Mm -hmm. this life isn't about his will for me. There's something much larger yes about his will for all of yeah. us that's going on and I think in the rigor and more of sin and its effect and God's mission and its effect, we see those collide and 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 so this message is powerful to us to keep going yeah. to stay focused to that's be right. steadfast in it yeah, and
1: Jesus bought freedom and he was killed for it that's right so I mean well, why should we be any different? yeah <laughs> no, different. Expect, no different no much of the same. And this is why this sounds uh, sadistic of me. it's why I'm excited in some ways about loneliness mm. is I think that it opens the, the front door. Yeah. As our pastor would say here at the Brentwood campus, Mike Glenn, the front door of your home mm. is the front door of the church. Wow. Is that we have this culture of loneliness. We had the Cigna report from a couple of years ago that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. In the overview about people, um, just the incredible percentage of lonely people in our culture who are literally losing years off their life. Yes. Um, with medical technology, we're seeing more babies survive hmm. into early toddlerhood. Yeah. And we're seeing lives extended on the back end uh, with, with, you know, life-enhancing technology. But we're seeing the average lifespan of the American adult shrink. Yeah, which is crazy. So it's getting better on both ends, and then yet we're living less. Yeah. And it's partially because of this, because this anxiety and this loneliness – is helping lead towards what you said, substance abuse, um, other things that are literally killing years off of our life. Where I've heard estimates, and we've talked talked about this a bit at Preaching Team, that the loneliness that many experience is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day Hmm. in terms of the health impact it's having on individuals. Uh, We we know, and so for me as a philosopher, we always look at... um, you know, Enlightenment Europe, modern Europe, and Canada, sort of the forerunners of where we're going culturally and conceptually. And, and we saw in 2018, I believe it was, January 2018, that the U.K. appointed their first minister for loneliness. Hmm. Well, they actually have a government position now to tackle wow, the issue to tackle of loneliness, loneliness sure, because sure. that much of their population is, is, is isolated, unconnected, and feeling lonely. Wow. And I don't think we're that far behind. I agree. Any of that, the... The internet and the social media and all the rest that was supposed to connect us has isolated us yep. in a lot of ways. So we're yeah we a lot of broken people. Yeah, and and it's it's really it's really a blessing in some ways that we're currently in a culture where people won't randomly walk into a church yep. unless there's a major crisis in their life yeah but they will gladly come to your home because they're desperate for community. That's right, and and, and what and an opportunity for the
0: Christian. I agree totally, and you know we're called to serve. But frame that serving inside of disciple making. Yes. Right? Not only are people lonely and willing to come sit at a table with you, they're also willing to go and serve in community with you. They're they're also willing to give of themselves. And, And you might say, Jace, no, because of, and I hear people talk about depravity and this and that. No, no, no. Listen. Like, like, there is still something inside of all of us that God is, God's light and his, and the salt and light that Jesus talked about that, 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 that his kingdom begins to call out of us and bring out of us. And, and that's the richness and beauty of what we're talking about. And that, in those lonely moments, I've heard, I think it was Tim Keller say that when you're lonely or when you're anxious or when you feel like you absolutely need a breath, whatever it is that you turn to immediately, is probably what you worship the most. That's right. That's not a statement to make anyone out there feel guilty. It's a challenge to all of us to say, are we sitting down at the banquet table with Jesus? Yeah. In those moments, is it drawing us close to lean in? Mm-hmm. Because if we are honest about our own loneliness, then we can truly yeah. invite others who are lonely to be experiencing the presence of christ with us
1: and if we're right about this concept of people being desperate for community and broken in their loneliness it means you don't need to as much as i love it and i am one you don't need to be a phd theologian (laughs) to attack that issue that's right what you need to do is be present that's right so take the incarnation as your model put on the Meat suit, as you like to call it, so disgustingly, uh, but but Christ became flesh and was present with His people, Emmanuel, That's God right. with us. That's right. Are you simply willing to be present with unbelievers? Yeah. And that alone is going to be a, a, a gospel witness. Yep. So let me give um, let me give a, a good definition that came up uh, for loneliness, and this is, comes from uh, one of the one of our pastors brought this up, and it's from the book Brother to a Dragonfly, and it says loneliness is when you're missing someone. To be lonely, it means you're missing someone. Hmm. But to be lonesome is when there's no one to miss. Wow. And I think that our culture is in that latter part. Hmm. Um, they're lonesome because they don't have anyone to miss and no one to miss them. Yeah. And a major front door to discipleship and evangelism is just being someone's friend. That's right. <laughs> That's all there is. And What and toddlers do a thousand times a day.
0: And I'm not being, I'm not being trite when I say this, but we're not just talking about being someone's friend on Facebook. I mean, I, yeah, right. to me, that's part of what even contributes to the lonesomeness, sure. not just the loneliness. It certainly because, shifted our
1: definition of friendship.
0: <laughs> for sure. And I, I think the lonesomeness though yeah. is a lot because we're all crying out to be more than what we know virtual reality is allowing us to be. And, and, and we're all longing for that. So if you're an equipper out there. Yes. Um, I, I You know, real quickly as we wrap up here, I think one thing I would encourage, well, two things real quickly. One, be careful. Don't try to make <clears throat> the local church that you lead into a place where only people who all have the same views and the same lifestyles and the same socioeconomic status. Don't make it a place where... It, everyone needs to agree, and if you don't agree, there's another church for you to go to. I I don't know that that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and I think in our battle against loneliness and in our disciple making efforts, it, it's often as a result of what we think is a noble effort to try to fit into a niche, right. but may not really represent what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven. And right. so, be careful. Of that, but but the the that so that's the caution I would give. But I think the other side of it is, like you said, maybe we need to take a a, a note from or a, a a point from UK the UK's mm. uh, book and and pay attention significantly, give serious energy to confronting and engaging and leaning into and coming close to the issue of loneliness of with those that we equip. Yeah,
1: perfect. Um, For the believer, let me add a secondary thing here. Yeah. To be lonely as a Christian is not wrong. There's a place for the spiritual discipline of solitude. That's right. That's right. And silence and prayer. And that's not what we have in mind here. Um that's not what we mean by loneliness. Yeah. We mean sort of that abandonment and disconnect from sure. any community. That's right. Is who we're talking about. So let me if I can, I'd like to end with this Bonhoeffer quote that, I think it's that great. one of our pastors brought up and I think it sums our whole conversation up really well and and supports the equipping moment you gave. I think that's good. Bonhoeffer says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. It's great. It's
0: solid. And I, I think, you know, I love that because I think we've said this before. With Jesus, with other believers, with those yet to believe, those those are the three uh non-lonely <laughs> relational patterns that we see in Jesus's life and even he felt loneliness right like we see it in the garden when he cries out we see it in the way that he navigates his cousin's beheading in Matthew 14 we see it in different aspects of um of of the different relationships that he en- engaged with and and yet he was with his father he was with those that he was walking with that were beginning to believe. And he always engaged with those who were yet to believe. And so that with the Father, that's that solitude that you're talking about. That with other believers or groups that we offer, that's why we push that. It's not just some church program that we're hoping. Right. It, we feel like it's incredibly purposeful yeah. for who God's intended we have to be. a Trinitarian
1: God and community before he created. That's exactly right. Why wouldn't we reflect that? That's
0: exactly right. And the dance that he lives in, as Peterson says. So mm-hmm. I think... You know, I think I think that's what we're hoping for. And so loneliness isn't necessarily I think you hit it on the head. Loneliness isn't necessarily, quote unquote, a bad thing. It can become something that drives us closer to the father. But remaining lonely all the time usually will lead to lonesomeness. That's right. And so that, that's what we're saying. Don't be afraid to have the solitude and the alone time with the father but let that also come with the time with the groups and the time with those who've yet to believe. And when you have those different relational habits, patterns in your life, I feel like you'll see what kingdom of God life looks like.
1: Yeah. This lonesomeness is a plague. Yeah. And Christ has given us the the method and the power to beat it. It's good. Just
0: got to be open and invitational. It's good. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. And, uh, if you have any questions or rebukes or slanders or anything else you want to send to us, uh, we welcome them. And yeah, slanders
1: uh, and rebukes go to J. That's right. Jay Dukes at Encouragement <laughs> and, and praise goes to P. Wilkinson at <laughs> <Baptist. com. laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. So we appreciate you, uh, tuning in with us. And, um, I will say it, 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 this isn't a plug for us at all. It's, it simply helps this to be a resource that more people get access to if it's encouraging you share it with someone. Uh, If you get a chance to review it on whatever podcast tool that you use, uh, we would appreciate that. Again, not because it helps us in any way. It just allows the resource to be more available to people. So next time we will focus in on uh, what's called the series coming up called The Big Story, which I'm excited about because I think the big story of God is huge in our understanding of what it would mean to be disciple makers with him. And so we look forward to talking with you next time. And we're going to talk to the architect. That's right. David Hanna. That's right. Can't wait. All right. So talk to you all soon.